Hello, and welcome to Mixed Signals, the show for definitive opinions about all things audio. I'm Berk Mola, and with me are Jack Newcomb and Vasilis Paras. We're the arbiters of sound. And together, we shall define the undefinable and settle all audio debates forever. Welcome to another episode of Mixed Signals. I'm Berk and I'm joined by my co-host Vasilis. Hello. And Jack. Hello. So today we're going to be talking about an interesting high-level topic, uh, namely what makes a musical genius. You know, we all have our different opinions and we're probably going to disagree on a lot of things, but I just wanted to say the, let's say, dictionary definition of what a genius is, so then we can start from there. Uh, So it's defined as exceptional intellectual or creative power or other natural ability i think that definition's bullshit <laughs> no <laughs> uh yeah i mean it's kind of a vague definition but i think it's you know it's got some bits i think the creativity bit's probably the the bit that sticks out to me the most that's the bit i appreciate um particularly with regards to music uh, yeah it's definitely having a high creativity and like a huge passion in the output of your work is going to make it good. It's good that you started with the dictionary definition because actually defining it is going to be really hard um, because it's such a wide topic that can go in so many directions. It's got so many like dimensions to it uh, within music particularly. Yeah, so you agree with the, the creative part, let's say, but you don't necessarily think you have to be like intellectually superior let's say in in the music field well like yeah to be called a genius so let's say we like said well what do most people probably think of when you say genius they probably picture uh some guy on a stage in an opera house holding a violin type thing with a tuxedo on um like you know that's a kind of genius uh it's a kind of you know and it's the kind of genius i can appreciate i you know i don't mind watching kind of youtube videos of guys doing a virtuoso type stuff in fact said so mm. the word virtuoso is probably a good thing to hit on early on here that's uh yeah do yeah. we think virtue being a virtuoso is the same thing as being a genius I, I i don't know no i don't think so i think that's an entirely different uh thing like i i don't agree with you that i i don't imagine when you say musical genius i don't imagine some very highly trained uh classical uh violinist or uh pianist or something like that maybe an orchestra conductor but definitely not a virtuoso. Conductor? Why Why conductor? Out of interest. Uh, because I think that, in, in my mind, the, the person that plays the instrument is probably extremely good at doing that one thing, is very, very specialized, and is very, very uh, good at articulating and putting emotion and all that, but then the conductor is supposedly the one that has to translate the entire piece into the way that they see fit that it should be played in all the instruments and you know adjust the tempos and adjust the loudnesses and the expression and all that so i think that in my mind the the person who is soloing is just interpreting that one bit of music whereas the conductor is interpreting all parts simultaneously and is responsible for how they sound as a as a whole yeah, I mean, I think like, I definitely agree that conductors don't get as much appreciation as they should. 
Like it just looks like they're just waving a stick, right? To a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> um, which is definitely not the case. But um, yeah, I think like I definitely agree about virtuosos. I mean, you know, obviously the definition said creative ability. And, you know, there's no doubt that there is some creativity when you're interpreting certain bits of work. But like, I feel like a lot of it is just, you know, you're, you're kind of replicating something. You're not necessarily creating it from scratch. So I, I think I feel like the creativity there is kind of limited. So, yeah, I, I think I agree with you there. What I'm saying also is not creative in the sense that the conductor is also interpreting a piece of work. It's not original. They did not uh, necessarily uh, compose that. Uh, piece of work but I just feel like uh, it's uh, more uh, the, the knowledge or the effort it takes behind in order to be able to do that I feel like is of greater significance than uh, playing one of the instruments but that's the way I I see those things so yeah I mean you're free to <laughs> to argue with me that being exceptionally good at one instrument is potentially uh, you know, being a musical genius. I mean, it's an interesting one because you could say like, well, does that mean that like Dick Van Dyke and Mary Poppins is a musical genius because he plays all those instruments at once? Um, <laughs> but like, I, I think I see what you're saying though, is that, yeah, I don't think any any amount of, or specific amount of um, playing somebody else's work necessarily makes you a genius. Like it's what parents think, right? Parents think their kids are genius. <laughs> it's it's a bit of a limited definition. Whereas I think you know, yeah, most most people who are involved in any kind of like yeah creative uh, outlets for music will associate the genius side more with the creation of new music. Like you could say, like that guy's a genius. He just played Paganini's nth caprices on a violin. You could be like, yeah, but Paganini wrote it too. So is he more of a genius? Or yeah, I mean. When Basilis was describing the conductor versus the individual instruments, like I just imagined some kind of puppet master where they have to just control everything, and the other people are kind of, you know, again, it sounds like I'm slagging them off, but like robots <laughs> who are just kind of <laughs> following instructions, which is obviously not the case. But yeah, I kind of understand like the conductor has to keep everything under control, sort of. Should we say a name of somebody who we think is a genius, for example? Like maybe it's better to kind of quantify it at this point mm, i'm not sure because I, I i think that can very easily devolve into uh i like this person's music and i don't like this person's music and i think that a big part of that definition in people's mind like when you if you if you google like who is a musical genius or what is a musical genius i think that most discussions end in i basically enjoy that person's music and i think that it's very I don't know, uh, emotional and surprising and original for me. So thus, I think that they're a genius. And in that respect, everyone can claim that uh, they think someone is a genius, someone else isn't. And I think that that's a valid claim. But I yeah. I don't think the discussion should be to uh, necessarily uh, prove why we think certain people are worthy of the genius title and certain other people aren't. It's not about proving right or wrong. It's like, like you said, people have different opinions and also reasons why they think someone is a genius. I don't think we're trying to get to the bottom of the word genius, but it's like, these are the things that matter to me in the musical world. And that's why this person for me is a genius, you know? Yeah, okay. And I think the traits could be very different for the three of us. 
Are you trying to say that Rick Rubin is a genius, Burke? Is this where you're driving towards eventually? <laughs> yeah, you got me. You got me. Yeah, I mean, if you if you think that uh, naming certain people will help us uh, then identify these traits that make someone a genius and then make a big uh, list, then yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I can I can go with a controversial one, which kind of follows on from the virtuoso thing a little bit, because I think primarily he's seen as a bit of a virtuoso, but I think he's got many other. Uh, yeah, many other traits. And that is Matt Bellamy from Muse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, so I, knew, I knew you were going to trigger me. So yeah, that's why yeah. I was trying to avoid that. <laughs> <laughs> this is the, the next 20 minutes is just for this on the right now. <laughs> so, I mean, like I say, he's mainly thought about like, oh, he's an amazing pianist. He's an amazing guitarist. He's an amazing singer. Like he's mostly thought about as a, a virtuoso in the pop world and in the rock world, let's say. But I think like the compositional traits that he shows as well as like, you know, the sound that he's obviously not by himself, but the sound that he's crafted for Muse, while it may not be the most original thing in the world, uh, it's derived from, you know, many other bands, like quite obviously. When you hear a Muse song, you're like, yeah, that's Muse. So I feel like in that respect, they've kind of produced some kind of individuality that, you know, is very, yeah, it's very unique. And I think that kind of makes him a genius in a way. Discuss. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I think I get what you're saying. I think it's a kind of, I think maybe it's an aspect of being a genius is being able to carve out your own sound or like yeah as you say have people know you on i mean let's face it right so one thing i was going to say was when you were saying like he, he is a musical musical genius i was going to say was because <laughs> like you know they definitely carved out a, a sound but also he's definitely kind of um been cashing in on the, the the same song or same song structure for quite a while now um but that i mean there's nothing wrong with that per se like it, people definitely definitely know muse when they hear them it's one of those bands like Rage Against the Machine or System of a Down. It's just, you know, you you hear a song, you're very, very aware very, very quickly. However, maybe what you're saying is that Muse is more recognizable because of the breadth of different genres and different kind of areas of music that go into their songs. Like I wouldn't I wouldn't say that about, say, Rage Against the Machine. I would say that they do one genre mm -hmm. and they do one thing and they have a one big voice in the band that is very recognizable. And it's kind of the same with Muse, but I think you, you're kind of touching on something a little bit more than that, that yeah. those other bands I mentioned maybe don't quite have. Yeah, I mean, I think like definitely more than bands like Rage, they have like more varied influences. I guess like in a similar way, Queen has that, right? Kind of rocky yeah, yeah, yeah. sort of classically vibes. And they're obviously deriving uh, from Queen as well, you know, inherently. But... I don't know. There's there's just a a certain mix of things that they bring together that really sounds like Muse. And I know you kind of said, okay, later on their music gets very cliche or or you know samey, let's say. But at the same time, they they start bringing in electronic influences and other influences that actually moves away from the Queen sound as well. So in that way, I think the later stuff is also adding a lot to sort of the overall Muse sound where you can't just say, oh yeah, they just sound like Queen or they sound like Rage because they actually start bringing in like electronic pop and all these other things. Or they even did dubstep, right? Kind of. Um, so yeah, I feel like he is kind of trying to push the boundaries a little bit. 
For me, the problem with what you're saying is that I obviously I do not doubt uh, Muse's and Bellamy's abilities and all that. My problem with Muse is that you you listen to Muse, you know it's Muse because of certain elements and definitely his voice that are very very characteristic. But yeah. you can you can immediately see those influences. Maybe this is controversial, but I do not think Muse are very original. Maybe the the way they blend those things might be original in the sense that. Oh yeah, okay. We never had dubstep with Freddie Mercury singing over it. Good, <laughs> but that is why I think that Queen are on a different level because whatever Freddie Mercury did and this whole like over the top operatic persona, and, you know, early seventies Queen songs that seem like they are some of them feel like a joke, like a musical, like yeah. I don't know this overly uh, theatrical dream. Yeah. And, and for me, this is more of a sign of genius. Like the fact that Bohemian Rhapsody is a thing, especially for the time it was written, I'm pretty sure that whoever listened to uh, Bohemian Rhapsody the first time in their radio went like, what the fuck was that? Yeah. The reaction. Almost certainly. Whereas I don't think Muse necessarily get the same reaction. Like Knights of Sidonia, for instance, is, oh, that's, that's pretty cool. That's Muse trying to be... Queen. I can enjoy, I enjoy the riffs, I enjoy the melodies, the whatever spaghetti Western references and all of that. But it just feels like, again, like this series of references to other things that they love and they put together. That, that's why I think that the label genius there is what makes me feel a bit, uh, I feel like if you, if you are a genius, potentially, you should be pushing the envelope further. You should be doing that kind of what the fuck thing like you should be doing what queen were doing in the in the early 70s you should be doing uh, i would say yeah the beatles whatever the beatles were doing in the late 60s Whoa, okay i mean i have a lot to say on the beatles we'll get there but just just the last thing on on muse um would you say that going back to the early muse sound for instance would you say that that was not unique and had muse not appeared on the scene do you not think there would be like a hole there in terms of pop and rock music like in the early 2000s? Things like Bliss or some of the Origin of Symmetry tracks that they released, like that was pretty original sound. Of course it's derived, but... Well, one that, one that sticks out to me there that actually I think you're kind of hitting on something that, that, that yeah, I think is true is, um, is, is Plug-In Baby. Just just hmm. the... The main riff in Plug-In Baby was pretty out there when it came out for a kind of indie rock song. And that's who it was targeting. It was targeting the same market at the time that was like previously the Blur and Oasis market, right? And mm. they came in and like you say, I think Knights of Sidonia is a great example as well for the same reason. Like taking space opera and kind of like twangy western, you know, kind of, uh, you know, real old style, Amer- you know, Americana 60s twangy style of playing and then pushing that together with some classical influences is pushing the envelope quite quite a lot yes but then i guess arguably it didn't get it didn't get as big so bohemian rhapsody is kind of i think you've made a little bit of an unfair example in a way just because it's it was so enormous that um obviously it it did kind of change everybody's perception of what rock and pop could be um so maybe i still think muse did that as berg saying but maybe a little bit less so uh than than queen but that's that that, that's a high bar (laughs) I mean, I, I specifically with Knights of Sidonia, I disagree because it feels like this thing, this whole uh, Western 
influences, uh, spaghetti western influences were a very big thing at the time. And I think that starts especially from Kill Bill. It just kind of influenced the, the, the whole Tarantino aesthetic, influenced people to start mm-hmm. doing that kind of thing. And at the same time, the same the same year in that album, Kasabian also released their, their second album, which is full of that kind of spaghetti reference thing. And I'm, I'm in no mean I'm saying that you know, Kasabian are big uh, pushing the envelope bump, but (laughs) they are doing, they're trying to get influences from the same thing. I don't, that's how, what I feel about Muse. The fact that Muse did dubstep for me is like very damning. Mm -hmm. They They did dubstep after dubstep was a thing. Good, but this is not trailblazing. Yeah. Maybe I prefer it from some like very, very... I don't know, uh, weird uh, stuff that is barely listenable. But but still, I do not think that that is potentially very genius. Yeah, I think like you've touched on a really interesting point, which I think is sort of like about historical context or like the context in which things are released. And, you know, maybe that had something to do with the success of Bohemian Rhapsody as well. Of course, it's a great track. It's very original and so on and so forth. But like, as Jack said, that is just gigantic compared to what Muse did, for example. And maybe that's partly to do with the context mm-hmm. in which it was produced. And like, again, tying that to the Beatles thing that you mentioned, I mean, what the Beatles did, and this is a bit controversial potentially, but what the Beatles did was great back in the day. But now when you listen to it, aside from some of the latest stuff, it's not really that original. I mean, they're, they're making pop music. And everything else since then has built on that. And, you know, obviously it's made it harder to like stand out with a regular pop song. But that that's the advantage of the Beatles in a lot of ways. Like they just happened to get there first. That's why I said the Beatles in the late 60s and I didn't say the Beatles uh, want to hold your hand. But yeah, exactly. The fact that the Beatles made it there first, I do not think it's because they just it just happened to be there waiting for someone to open the door and get it and the Beatles just happened to be next to the door. Mm. Like obviously it's not the Beatles just the Beatles that made that possible. It's also uh, George Martin and whoever else was working with them as engineers and all the technological advances at the time, but the fact that yeah. those things happened back then and not necessarily just the Beatles, but what the Beach Boys were doing as well. This was pushing the envelope. Yeah. You know, you're saying that if you listen to the Beatles now it's not very fresh. I, I I really disagree with that. Like I think that Abbey Road is one of the best albums ever. I agree with that, by the way. I feel like it's an exception. <laughs> Does being one of the best albums ever make it musical genius? Just because something is considered one of the best albums ever. Like I heard a quite controversial opinion the other day, which I'm going to throw out there and you might say again, I totally disagree with this. People only like Pink Floyd because you're brought up to like Pink Floyd. So like... Because there's mm. such a strong cultural love of Dark Side of the Moon, you can't not like Dark Side of the Moon. Whereas if you took a child, never exposed them to any opinions about Dark Side of the Moon, and then played it to them, you know, uh, once they were old enough to kind of, you know, understand what kind of made music that people like and music that people don't like, would they really, really, really love that album? Or would they go, this is a good, but not fantastic rock album? <laughs> I have the answer for me because, I mean, I grew up listening to all these things because of my dad and I loved Abbey Road when I was a kid and I, I didn't care for Pink Floyd. I Now that I'm older, I can appreciate Pink Floyd for certain things, but I, I can still say I'm, you know, 
I'm not ashamed, but I don't really like Pink Floyd. Yeah. I also don't, I wouldn't say I don't like them. I just don't really listen to them very much. Like, there's, I know the songs of theirs that I do like, but it's, it's, they're one of those bands that I do often look at and think, really? Like, wish you were here. That's, that's considered genius. I mean, I'm not, I'm just, I'm, I'm just not, not sure. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like it has the same reaction. Like, it, it brings up the same reaction in me as, uh, like watching older movies. Yeah. In a lot of ways, of course, like some of them are, you know, incredible and timeless and so on. But a lot of the time you watch something and like the humor has changed, like the editing has changed through the years. The I don't know, the pacing, everything just seems weird. And and to us who are used to more modern things like, well, to me, it just seems off. And a lot of the time I'm like, oh, this is just not as good as the stuff that's being released today. And I feel that about music a lot of the time. Um, again, of course, there are exceptions, and of course, I'm not saying I don't like anything before like 2000s or anything like that. But uh, a lot of the time, it's like I do feel like it's cultural, and people are just obsessed with it because it's been passed through generations. So yeah, I, I definitely agree. Yeah, and you hit on another kind of important thing about musical genius here. So like the, the output of musical genius in most cases, although I guess this could be another discussion, but it's going to be music. It's going to be songs, tracks, stuff that people can listen to, stuff that is in the mainstream and is kind of, you know, a wide part of um, music culture. And I'm in the case of what we're talking about, I'm going to say Western music culture just to die down because I think I was about to go on a run about like, there's probably parts of the world where they're just like, who the fuck's Pink Floyd? I don't care about these people. You know, I don't, this is not what I was brought up with and this doesn't sound great to me. But putting that aside, um, a lot of musical genius doesn't come out of just a person putting something together, right? So I was again, I was watching um, some interviews about how some tracks were made um, on YouTube, and there's a big track that came out last year called Kyoto by uh, a, a young girl called Phoebe Bridges, and like I was watching about how that song was made, and she when she took that to um, kind of you know her manager and uh, the her kind of main contacts at the studio. She had this slow ballady and and everything she writes. And I think this is true for a lot of artists. But I'm just picking on this as an example. Everything she writes tends to start off as real slow, kind of dreary guitar ballad. Um, dreary. There's there's not a a negative by the way. It's just like that, that's the approach that they take. That song is a hoppy, poppy, upbeat, you know, four four mm. uh, rock track now. And it wouldn't have been if a load of other guys hadn't jumped into the mix and taken it and kind of, you know, hit the sides with metaphorical hammers and turned it into a totally different track. So is yep. is part of the musical genius that you have to have, like, like what, sorry, it's like what you were saying, Vasilis, with like George Martin. If you take him out of the equation, do you still have a, uh, a, a genius-like uh, Beatles band? Yeah, that's why we can't focus on just uh, one guy because I was thinking about uh, the question in my head the past two days and my analogy which uh, is a sports analogy I was thinking about someone like I don't know LeBron James or Messi and you can say like LeBron James is a basketball genius or Messi is a football genius I don't know <laughs> uh, uh, you know if our um, listeners follow basketball <laughs> or football and, and I'm gonna argue that Yes, like by themselves, they might be extremely good at what they're doing. They might be extremely good at reading the, the plays of the other team and uh, setting up plays for the teammates and executing and being very good at handling the ball, etc., etc., etc. But if their teammates are really bad, if their coach has very bad plays, if, 
you know, all of the other things uh, are not good, even these guys will not be able to perform. And obviously then their legacy will be uh, diminished. So can you just say that, yeah, that guy is a genius just because he's good at all these things, but they might not be potentially able to produce to the level that uh, we appreciate at the end? In terms of music, you know, the, the songs that we hear, are they the product of just one person? Yeah, I think that's a, a really big thing. I mean, obviously with pop music, it's very, very common to have multiple producers uh, and then maybe the actual artist themselves writes the lyrics. And obviously there's even more stuff when you when you get to the, the engineering side on, uh, at the end. But yeah, like who's the genius there? Are they all geniuses or is it only genius when they come together and make a single track that happens to be really good, but the rest of the time Maybe. they're not that good. Maybe. Uh, and yeah, like also, is it just about the music? I mean, a lot of for a lot of people, lyrics are very important. And, you know, maybe that was written by one person out of a team of five. So are they the genius only? Maybe? Like, it's very hard to, to know. From, from the beginning of this uh, conversation... I think that we've left the, you know, we've left the creative part and we are talking a lot about uh, how original things are. At some point, you have to accept that there is a certain group of people that have reached like a technical, not technical perfection necessarily, but a very great technical skill. So all these people can't be geniuses. That's my, that's my theory at least so there has to be something else that makes some of them very very exceptional and in my mind i usually think this is you know the originality of the the, the work that they put was yeah. uh, i don't know groundbreaking revolutionary i don't know weird new whatever so i'm thinking that to all these people that have the same skill level and they're like really good professional musicians the one that makes the difference is the one that did the thing that no one else thought of doing so do you think that like that level of praise is more important coming from other professionals than it is from people who are at our level or below. Yes. Because you're saying it's very cheap to kind of throw that word around if yes. you don't really know exactly. what you're doing. Exactly. So like maybe a true genius is somebody who's also just revered by their peers. Yes. That, that is exactly, you phrased that very, very well. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. One thing that people will often do, even if they're not in the same league as those people, uh, is obviously compare the people they do know. So if you're taking multiple people who are all considered top of their field, a lot of people who are not top of their field but have an interest in that thing will be more than happy to sit there and compare them and contrast them side by side and say who they think's best and who isn't. So, you know, there's an element of uh, being able to observe genius, I think, and know what is more or less of being a genius in something without having to like as you said like have spent 40 years in a cave with you know as much music equipment as possible learning exactly what it is to be a true genius so who do you guys think is an example of a true genius who you know other professional musicians really respect you know the whole deal like you know they're they're amazing to regular listeners, but also really revered by their peers. To give an example of two people and use one that you've already brought up, but two people who it's easy to put side by side and compare and people, a lot of people have strong opinions on whether they think one is a genius and the other isn't, or whether both are geniuses, but one is more of a genius than the other. Matt Bellamy, 
Tom York. You know, <laughs> you can put those two guys side by side and compare them all day long, and you don't have to have a really, really long history of you know of, of creativity in the field of music to be able to decide whether or not you think one is more of a genius than the other. Right? I'd say that both are revered in their fields. I'd say probably Tom York's a bit more revered than Matt Bellamy, um, to, to understate it, but yeah. Well, let, let's say Muse and Radiohead then, and take them as bands, because I, I think like there is a, definitely a contrast there, I feel, between Muse and Radiohead. I mean, that, that's, such a, that's such a biased now conversation, because, <laughs> yeah, okay. Like, you see what I mean, though? Go on, trigger number two. For the purpose of I mean, of there is no, there is, this is, this is sacrilege for me. Like, you cannot <laughs> compare Radiohead to Muse. Yeah. Even comparing them is heresy. Yeah, for a lot of reasons. And maybe, you know, I'm a dick. <laughs> no, it's important to get into it. Like, why is Radiohead said to be this incredibly creative and groundbreaking and respected band? When, you know, they're also using guitars and synths and so on. Because also it's a bit of an age thing. Again, it may be unfair for to compare Radiohead and, and Muse because I truly believe that Radiohead helped open the door that let Muse in. Yeah. Mm. So like earlier when I said as well, there's dimensions. There's so many dimensions to what makes a musical genius. Like one thing I would say is that Matt Bellamy takes a lot of pride. So if you take them side by side on live performances, Matt Bellamy, he goes out and loves to do virtuosic performances. By And I'm not, I'm not saying that Radiohead don't, but I would say that Radiohead are a lot less concerned with their live performances about hitting each of the, you know, 30 second notes of the solo as such as they are as of creating a bit more of a musical dynamism as in like having some creative process inside the performance as well i would say with muse that's one of the things that's actually bothered me over the years watching their performances is that i've stopped because i don't get that from them i don't get creativity being infused into the live performances in the way that you do with a band like radiohead uh and i think the fact that there's creativity coming from different places and different dimensions in their band kind of really shows the and it's that it, in that way, I think they're really different. One thing that I don't think is a side of genius in bands, and it's something that's bothered me with Muse in recent years, is using trademarks of things that you do in your songs. So certain bands have like trademark things that they will do. And it's one of those things that really bothers me that I think is like negates a little bit of your musical genius is to use the same trick a little too often. And that's one thing I don't think you see like terribly with Radiohead it's just it, when when you see that in in the way like like all like super mainstream pop like you know uh disposable pop music does that a lot you'll get a lot of people coming through the works that will do the same tricks over and over and over again and it th th that to me is like the absence of musical genius in a way for me what makes Radiohead a great and I'm we're talking about Radiohead like uh OK Computer and post OK Computer is what you're saying. Like Radiohead did OK Computer. They became probably the biggest band in the UK at the time. And they thought, OK, now we're just going to do something completely different. Now that we're, we're going to explore other things. And they, they've kept doing this. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure that Radiohead would have been a great band and would have had a, a great legacy and a big following if they, if they just stuck to OK Computer and just did powerful guitar whiny music for another decade. But they didn't do that. And that's what kind of makes them great, that they keep changing and they keep exploring all those different things. And and the same goes to, you know, you mentioned uh, Blair before, and I know I've, I've talked about uh, Damon Albarn to, to Berk. Uh, I don't really agree with everything that Damon Albarn mm -hmm. does, and uh, 
But I think that Damon Albarn is exactly that kind of person. Like he, he did whatever Britpop he did in the 90s and then he did Gorillaz and he did all the other projects, uh, African music, uh, whatever, like pop music, done all the things with Massive Attack as well. Like he definitely wants to do a lot of different things and put his uh, creativity. So that, that I admire. Bjork as well. Damon Albarn's an amazing like ghost in the industry and in that he has his fingers in so much stuff that you don't even realize that he's kind of got an influence in um it's a very good example actually um of somebody who yeah broke that mold in a similar way but nobody would say that about blur which is kind of like i guess ironic <laughs> bjork is a really interesting one because it feels like she gets kind of far because of her uniqueness and her weirdness i think like more and more her music is becoming less accessible mm-hmm but you know she's still up there she is trying to push the boundaries do different things uh not just musically but also like in terms of you know moving for example music video technology forward you know she'll do vr she'll do other stuff um that's kind of pushing the the boundaries so yeah like she she's just stands very very separately from everybody else not just musically but as a character as what she's doing for the industry i i agree with you like i really like bjork's earlier stuff lately i'm probably not that much into bjork but i do appreciate that something yeah. something that bjork will do will will keep me intrigued will get a reaction from me maybe it's a bad reaction but it's something yeah. that will challenge me whereas Again, Muse, for instance. Maybe if I go to a, to a big concert, I will have a very, very good time. I don't doubt that. But yeah, okay. It's not mm -hmm. that big of a deal. Like Bjork, for instance, another person, Aphex Twin, someone that I never uh, could uh, mm -hmm. get into. Like I've never really enjoyed Aphex Twin, but I do understand why the guy is in a different path to everyone else and trailblazed electronic music in the 90s. But do, do you also think that like there was nobody else doing weird stuff? around that time like they were i mean surely there must have been right but for whatever reason they broke through yeah yeah i mean uh, that might be a different conversation altogether but you know maybe some of the genius is also making that weirdness accessible to people i think you're right i think t t time and places plays a, a big part in whether or not your your musical genius is considered musical genius as well like there's, there's the, you know there's the thing of how many unheard songs and tracks are there out there in the world that could have been the biggest thing ever or you know change the industry that nobody ever heard because that person just never put any time into it or never wants to reason but in the case of someone like Aphex Twin though like surely with him he was involved in a big music scene with a lot of people and like I would say that well a lot of a lot of genres of music are competitive in who's going to become big in those genres like you have to be showing yourself to be doing things that are new and original and creative and that are pioneering and it feels to me that, like, again, Apex Twin was someone that I didn't particularly like that much for a really long time. I only really kind of started listening to him to any depth in the kind of past five years. But he was definitely doing things that were pushing the envelope, as you said earlier. It's like, you know, doing things that other people weren't doing. And that definitely was a contributor alongside the time and place, right? Because you have yeah, to be in yeah, the right yeah. scene. To, to, to become for, for people to recognize your genius and i guess that, i guess that's what i'm getting at recognizing someone's genius and them having genius are two separate things like absolutely mm -hmm. and because we, we we said musical genius again and it encompasses everything but then maybe if you if you 
put different categories there, uh, like composing or performing or, uh, like we mentioned in the beginning, producers. Like you said, the first thing you said probably was Rick Rubin, but mm-hmm. there's a lot of people there that have that they're genius in in that respect, and uh, and without them, a lot of music wouldn't have been made. But they're not necessarily the the person in the front of the in the cover of the album. Yeah. There's so many different fields in musical creativity that potentially people could be uh, geniuses at. Yeah, so uh, like you said, there's you know composition, arrangement, there's originality of sound. So like the more production side, there's obviously like performance and also uniqueness of your character, your voice maybe if you're a singer. Uh, there's lyrical uniqueness and like pushing the boundaries that way. And also, like from a technological point of view, you know, maybe you're doing something very different in your music videos or how you're distributing music or that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, guys. Well, sadly, we are over time. It's been a super fascinating conversation. So thank you. We touched on a lot of interesting topics and I think we still have a few that we didn't touch on. So maybe we can do a part two. So yeah, those of you listening, definitely look out for that one. We really hope you enjoyed the episode. Don't forget to rate us on whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. That really helps us out. If you found yourself tearing your hair out at some of the things we said, you can always write in and tell us how we're wrong at podcast at mixsignals.show. That is podcast at mixedsignals.show. We'll also have links in the show notes to our social media, so don't forget to follow us on there as well. And see you next time on another episode of Mixed Signals. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.